You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Welcome everybody back to Operators. I think this is episode four or five of season two. I've been uh, looking forward to this one for a while. We've got Justin, the CEO and, and founder of Romper Jack, where I have a lot of questions. And then we also have Adam, who runs partnerships over at Route, which is a close partner of ours. And, and I'll share a little bit more on both of them shortly. But first things first, as, as you all know, drop in where you're calling in from. I'll go first. I am in Orange County, California, just south of Los Angeles. I'm excited to see where we've got people coming in from international waters as well. We always have people coming in from overseas. I don't know why the Canadians usually wait to go last and then pile it all on. So we'll see. We've got New York, LA. We've got Tennessee, Texas. I know Justin was in LA for a while and recently moved over to Texas like the rest of California. So as I mentioned, we have Justin here. He is the founder of Romper Jack. They're an apparel company that, surprise, surprise, sells men's rompers and jumpsuits. They also have added a sister company with Romper Jill. And so we'll dive into that as well and, and what that looks like. I'm pretty interesting, interested there because obviously men's rompers is kind of creating its own category. And, you know, women have been wearing rompers for, for quite a while. I, I jokingly told my colleague earlier that I was asking my wife if I could borrow her romper for this episode. <laughs> but... Uh, that might get me reported to our, our HR department, and um, I'm fine not going down that route. And then Justin's got a, a very interesting background, runs a handful of other businesses right now. He started his career down the path of going to, to med school before he pivoted into launching an educational tech company, U- Uber Meets Tutoring. And then with Route, as I mentioned with, with Adam, they've been a partner of ours at ShipUp for, for a long time. And they help turn one-time shoppers into loyal customers with your package tracking, order protection, customer engagement. And so excited to dive into that and, and see how Justin has, has used that there. So welcome, guys. Thanks for coming. Justin, let's start with you. What was the catalyst to Romper Jack? So the catalyst to Romper Jack was uh, in the summer of 2017, We've been working on our Wiz Tutor platform, which allows students and parents to find local qualified tutors in the area and literally book them and use our payment processor to pay, pay for them. And it was summertime, so it was really slow for that. So that, that's usually peak time is fall and spring when school's in session. And so we have a lot of guys in the office just like hanging out, looking at Kickstarter campaigns, other things like that. Um, and so I came across a Kickstarter campaign for the male romper. I think it was in May of 2017. And they wanted to raise $10,000 and they ended up raising $350,000 in about three days. So that kind of like just showed me right there. That's a huge amount of traction. And I was like, well, it can't be that hard to, to launch a romper. So why don't we give them a competitor? So um, I quickly, you know, contacted some manufacturers overseas and said, like, look, this is what we want to do. And so they made a sample for us which was absolutely horrible. <laughs> it was like baggy everywhere. It looked like a male dress, like when we first got it. So we, we went over different iterations, got another sample and it, it turned out to fit really well. And we're like, okay, well, do we do this? And we're like, let's do it. So I built the website in about maybe a couple hours, do some pictures up there. 
And we got our first sale in 30 seconds. And that's when I knew that like this was going to be a really cool company. Through Facebook ads or from where? Nothing. No ads. Zero. I literally just put the website live. Literally just put it live. And somehow in the keywords and the SEO, it just sold. And then we got another one. And I was like, wow, this is going to be something. So So, so I got a lot of questions in there. You manufactured overseas what you found somebody over in China on like AliExpress or where'd you look? Where'd you start? Yeah. So I have experience finding products from like doing Amazon stores and things like that. So I went to the same place as before, which is Alibaba.com. And then I looked at like clothing manufacturers on there. Some that's made like female rompers before. And I kind of used them because they kind of know the structure and the sewing of it. So I found one that we really liked and asked for some samples and we stayed with them and we're still using that same manufacturer today. And where were they based? They're based overseas in China. What's the time delay? I mean, I know things right now are a bit crazy, but back then when you launched, how how long did it take you to get those samples? Pre-COVID, we were looking at like sample time, probably about two to three weeks. Okay. Ordering a full order would be about 35 days. But now that time frame is drastically changed. It's like between 60 to 70 days now to get stock and inventory. And then like I know Tipsy Elves, you know, which is based in San Diego, down here in Southern California. They do a lot of those one piece ski outfits, which were all the rage back in the 90s that people like my dad wore very unironically. And they came with some some pretty humorous outfits with you all with the first romper. Was it something that was more practical, like a navy, or was it, you know, a parody on the concept? Yeah, it was actually something that was just kind of just a normal color. So actually I think the best seller was navy. Was so we had started with navy, pink, white, and then black. So navy and black were the best sellers. And then and then we kind of got into a little bit of the satirical side of it. But then we realized that our audience was not like like the satirical part. They were more like they're wearing it for fashion. So we kind of adjusted it a little bit to be more fashionable. Who is a, a romper jack? So about 85% of our audience is made up of the LGBTQ community. Mostly gay men love the rompers a lot. They're not afraid to wear them. They have the confidence to wear them. They rock them amazingly, you know, to brunch, wherever they go, events, weddings, because our jumpsuits look well in weddings. So that's mostly what our, our audience is made of right now. And then as you evolve from, let's say, the more neutral colors or solids like the navy or the black, where'd you guys go from there? So when we started to notice that our audience was not like the Tipsy Elves audience, who happened to buy the original company that was on Kickstarter about a month ago? Tipsy did? Tipsy Elves did, yeah. About a month ago, they they took over their brand. That their brand did go out of business or they shut it down. um, And then they ended up buying the brand name and then using that to start Tipsy Elves Romp Him. But they sell towards more... I would say like the fraternity market or like, um, you know, college, young college kids or people that like to party. And we started with that audience. But when we started to research and like, you know, really want to make a romper that was not only going to like you're going to wear once, we wanted you to wear it twice, three times, four times. And the audience that was going to do that was the LGBTQ audience because they seemed to buy it over and again. So that's where we started our designs and we switched the, the regular navy blacks to stripes. Things you would find like on a, on a suit, you know, seersuckers and things like that. I have some more questions there, but let's fast forward a bit. Romper Jill, what was, you know, that's a much more crowded space. 
you know, what, what pushed you all to dive into there? And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of crossover with, you know, your consumers. Cause so anyways, so I guess talk, talk me through that. Yeah. So Robert Jill stole work in progress. And the, the idea between behind Robert Jill was we came up with the Robert Jack overalls, which sold really well, we like sold out right away. Um, and then we're like, okay, well let's get the overalls going with the, the female company first. Cause those are easy to do. So we started with that. We actually sold out of the female overalls really fast. And I think the idea behind it was that you can match your outfit with the guy's outfit. And so we right now have um, been working on matching male romper jacks with matching female rompers. So if you're going to go to brunch and like you're going with your girlfriends or whatever, your, your guy friends, um, you can actually match your girlfriend or your friend that's a girl or whatever, vice versa. When did you guys launch? The Romper Joe one? The Romper Jack. Romper Jack launched in 2017. Okay. So it's got to be, I mean, especially with just direct-to-consumer in general, but the type of product that you're marketing, it's got to be pretty fun from like a marketing and social media perspective. So talk me through kind of how that's evolved over time. And especially as like some of these apps have, have really grown, like like TikTok and Instagram stories and Instagram reels. Yeah. So the romper itself is, you know, funny, goofy looking outfit. And like, you can do so many different things when it comes to like online marketing. Like it's just the endless ideas because you can make fun of it. You can give it like power, like existence and confidence. Like you're, you're cool to wear one. So there's a lot of different routes we've gone down. So the main platforms we use to, to find our audience is Facebook and Instagram, which most people know that those are the same. We uh, use Pinterest as well because Pinterest is a big thing where you can find things that are outside the social norm. And then we also use uh, Google, obviously Google AdWords, uh, and retargeting, a lot of retargeting apps. So that's our main advertising platforms. So let's say with like Facebook and Instagram on one side, Google on the other, what's the blend between organic content and how much you're dedicating towards paid? Yeah. So organic is extremely strong. And the reason why it's really strong for us, and it wouldn't be as strong for for other companies starting so new that are only like two to three years old, is because we were the first company ever to to have those keywords on Google, like men's romper or, or romper jack or male rompers. We were the first ones ever to have a website with those keywords. So we've been ranking number one always. Like, And we added more content, more pictures. So we're going to continue to probably be in that number one spot for a long time. And we hope to stay there. So our organic traffic is, makes up about, I would say about 40%, which is really high, really, really high. And then the rest would be paid marketing. So you have a lot of experience, you know, running technology companies, running your own Amazon stores. Do you all handle your marketing in-house or do you outsource that? We started it all in-house. And then when it kind of like started to grow a lot and we have, we have, we run all these other companies because we start all of our advertising in-house for all of them. It becomes very hectic. It's a lot of, it's very time consuming to make advertise like different ads, come up with content, getting pictures, videos that's, that can take a lot of power, a man of power out of you and a lot of like brain power essentially. So we ended up giving it to a, um, a firm to do. And then what we found is that they couldn't create the same voice as we could. And they didn't know the product as well as we did. Uh, so we took it back. We were doing a lot better, like way better when it came to conversions. Our ROAS was way stronger. But then, you know, in the busy months, like uh, 
fourth quarter, like uh, October, November, December, we typically give it to a, an advertising firm just because that takes every day you got to change the ads up because like you're trying to compete with all these different companies on Facebook, Instagram that are constantly coming up with new ideas for Christmas sales, Thanksgiving sales, Black Friday. So that's the only time to give to an agency. Okay. Yeah. There's a question from Carly. Do you mind sharing the name of the agency or you can keep it private as well? Um, yeah. So we've used probably like five or six different agencies in the past. One off the top of my head would be Jumpfly. And then see another one would be, I can't remember the, the other ones off the top of my head. I have to, I'll get back to you on that, Carly. And then with peak season. So naturally, you know, the holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, November, December, do you also see an influx in the summer months when people might start wearing them more outdoors or it's it's wedding season or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So it's very seasonal when it comes to that. I think our slowest time would be January to about uh, March. And then after around April, it starts to pick up exponentially. Like uh, I would say the busiest time would be June and July, especially for summer, people going on vacations. However, we didn't see that last year because of COVID. It was more like just like this. And the reason being is because people weren't traveling and they weren't mm-hmm. going, you know, going out of the state, out of the country. So it just kind of stayed like at this level. But now we're this right now we're seeing this. So Good. which is I great. Bet. Yeah. Yeah. I keep seeing the term analog summer. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works for you guys as everybody's trying to get out and about and concert yeah. season and all of that and, and wedding season, of course, as well. So question from Amanda. What, what platform did you launch your store on first? Because I know you mentioned you, you got it live just in a few hours. Shopify. And I would recommend Shopify to everyone out there because Shopify is specifically built for e-commerce. And they've been around for a very long time and they have a lot of supporting apps out there that, you know, that work well with the platform, like Adam's platform route, which is an amazing platform to have or to add as, a, as an app. Perfect. So I've got some questions on the on the apps and integrations. I know that's something people always like to dive into to see like what you're using to, to really scale your business while keeping the team lean. But let's start with Route. What was the catalyst that got you to you know dive into Route? And I know you you know you're still a happy customer today. We lose so many packages, <laughs> and this is uh, this happens to every company, and it's it's when it leaves the fulfillment center and gets in the hands of UPS, USPS, and DHL. And I remember like when we launched Mexico, I think we lost like 45% of our packages. Like we even got an email from DHL saying that the DHL truck was robbed. So, (laughs) so for people out there that have e-commerce stores, they know that that's such a common thing to lose packages. And the black and white question is, who covers the cost? You know, does the consumer cover the cost or, or does the company cover the cost? So as a company, we ended up covering the cost because we wanted to, cons- you know, we wanted to like keep those good reviews. We wanted people to come back and buy from us. And so that added up over time. Um, when you lose packages, it adds up really quickly because you have to end up shipping them a free product and you got to pay for shipping again. And recovering that money from USPS or UPS or FedEx is really hard. It's not easy. It's really, really hard to recover that that money. So I think adding route was a no-brainer. And believe it or not, like we were even thinking about before route was like adding a cost onto the back end, like insure your package for like $5 or $3. But I mean, route came along and they already have a built-out platform that works really well. So it was really a no-brainer at the end of the day. 
Awesome. And Adam, last year was obviously pretty wild, just this massive influx in e-commerce. Then Q1 comes and things seem to continue to grow. But the carriers were dealing with demand that they'd never seen before. And it was tough to hire because they're all trying to hire. Amazon and Walmart are trying to hire. Companies like ShipBob were trying to hire. And they have to move physical inventory. So what were some of the interesting things that, that you guys saw last year and you know so far this year? Yeah, I think the interesting thing was it was a little bit of everything. You know, we cover lost, damaged, and stolen packages as part of our business. But the other part of it is we just provide a unified tracking experience. You can track all of your orders all in one place, regardless of whether it came from someone like Romper Jack, who has partnered with us to protect their orders, or if it's just an Amazon or a Nordstrom.com order. And so the interesting thing that that we saw across that was that every piece of that was affected by that influx of e-commerce. There was more lost packages because of all the madness and all the volume and stuff just got misplaced or just didn't make it. There was more stolen packages because your opportunistic bad guys knew that more people were buying stuff and having it delivered to their homes. And they weren't afraid of taking it off your porch, even when they thought you might be home. And then damage as the carriers were trying to keep up with all this demand and move stuff from, from one hub to the next, stuff got broken. Stuff you know wasn't cared for as well. And so in all of that, it increased. And I think the interesting now is we start to normalize more. A lot of this still exists. I think a lot of these things are one-way doors that have opened up that we're not necessarily going to come back from. The interesting thing is I think that gave everybody this forced awareness to realize this is an issue that, yes came from 2020 in some very specific set of circumstances, but they aren't going away. And although we may not see them in the full magnitude that we saw at times in 2020, merchants and consumers alike realized this is a gray area. I don't know if I go after the carrier to try to help me or if I go back to the merchant and if they're going to take care of me or if this is somehow my responsibility. And so it's just reinforced our ability to work with merchants and consumers to just take away that that concern and just, you know, within 24 hours, let's just resolve the issue, buy you the replacement from the brand so that, you know, brands like Justin's and his don't have to worry about giving away free inventory, paying for the shipping. We'll just buy it from them. We'll give it to you. And we just allow the customer to pay for that upgraded experience in the checkout process with one click so that it's super easy for everybody. You mentioned lost, stolen, and damaged. I'm sure it varies by each brand, maybe the, the places that they're shipping, but roughly, what's the breakdown from a percentage basis that you're seeing across those three categories? It's pretty even when you look at different verticals versus different geographies that they ship to. Early on, we started working with a lot of the smoking accessories, right? So hookahs and bongs and glassware, they're going to have a much higher you know, case of breakage than Justin's brand would, right? Because I don't I can't think of many ways that you can break a, a romper. Right? Oh, it's hard on the rompers. They're not, they're not, you can't break them, right? <laughs> yeah, they're unbreakable. So uh, it, it really, yeah, it depends. A lot of it depends on the carrier, but some of the interesting things that we're getting from that is with as much visibility as we have across all these orders that we're tracking, that we're protecting, we're starting to get some really interesting analytics that are not specific to just a carrier or just a brand. And I think you'll see from us in the future the opportunity where we can turn that into products. We can turn that information that brands can use so that we can actually show you. Here's how other brands very similar to you are benchmarking against you with your current USPS strategy or your DHL strategy or your packaging strategy. You have a much higher percentage of breakage than peers in the space. You really ought to go you know, talk with whoever it is that sells you your, your packaging solutions. So. 
I want to dive back into some of the apps that you use, Justin, and maybe what you started with and how that's evolved over time. But another question for you, Adam, like with products like Google Nest becoming so popular on people's front doors and apps like Nextdoor blowing up in, in so many parts of the US and the world, are you seeing any reduction or slowdown in like stolen packages or do people just not care? No, that's that's the amazing thing is now uh, the funny thing is with I have a doorbell camera and I love it. Right. But the truth is, all that the doorbell camera is giving you is a souvenir video of somebody stealing your package. It is not leading to more arrests or not leading to more people getting caught. The bad guys have figured out you might see me on your doorbell, but good luck finding me because I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it it kind of just, it raises awareness of the situation, but isn't a solution. And so we've seen other things. We've seen lock boxes that you can have mounted to the concrete on your porch and, you know, put in the special instructions for your FedEx driver to place it into that box that only you can get. But with a lot of those people are spending a thousand dollars to put this new piece of hardware on their porch that is unsightly. And then most of the time, the FedEx or the UPS or the DHL driver, they don't even see that. They don't pay attention. They're not aware. And they just set them on top of it or next to it anyways. So there's a lot of creative solutions. And on paper, they seem to work. But ultimately, no, like the porch piracy trends continue to go up. If you Google it, you just look at Google Trends. It is a climbing trend. There's obviously really high peaks in November and December when everyone's searching it. But yeah, we just have some high definition recordings of people stealing your stuff, but that doesn't get your stuff back. And that doesn't give you any better peace of mind that the next thing that you order may or may not go the same way. I think that only covers one part of three aspects you cover. That only covers threat theft. You still cover the damage and right. you still cover lost. I think we see lost packages. This is from me only because I the email data we have is lost packages happen more than death packages. I don't know if you can. Yeah, the theft is an easy one. It's an easy one to highlight. I think we both see the YouTube videos where people have like a glitter bomb, you know, bait package or or something like that, where they try to catch the guy in in some big theatrical way. Those ones are really easy to talk about. Yeah, it's more of just these like not sexy stories of just like, it got lost. We don't know where it is. We have a lot of packages that go through our hands every day. And if you look at a percentage, yeah, it's it's a single digit percentage, it's like one to three percent. But when you consider the billions of packages that pass through those hands, it's you know tens of millions of packages that just go missing and just never show up somewhere. And so it's not negligible. Like Justin said, it adds up pretty quickly, whether it's a case of a, you know, a truck that was robbed in Mexico where a ton of your inventory goes or early on in Routes history, we worked with a brand who had an entire shipment just go up in flames in the truck. But we're, yeah, we're, we're on a model with us where those were all protected. And uh, we were able to to take care of them, but yeah, I mean, stuff happens, right? And and it's not it's not always the Hollywood situation of a porch pirate. It's just the normal function of life. And these carriers trying to do their best to move a lot of packages as the world moves more and more to an online shopping experience becoming the norm. Yeah, a lot for these e-commerce founders and operators to to juggle at the same time. So I guess before we get into the apps, we've got a question from Amy for you, Justin. When you launch a new product, how do you think about the units that you start with to test product market fit? So every manufacturer has what they call an MLQ, which is their minimum order quantity. And a lot of times you can actually um, negotiate these minimum order quantities. I would always recommend that you start on the lower, the lowest side because you never know if your assumption is correct or not, you never know because you're just assuming at the end of the day. So uh, when we started Rompers, as an example, 
I think that we were we were told that we had to order 500 of the same color, but multiple sizes. So I could order 500 navy rompers, but they could be small, medium, larges, extra larges. Didn't matter. So I negotiated that down to 200. I was like, I don't want to take the risk of doing 500 and I'm doing four colors. So I negotiated down to 200. They said, okay, cool. Because it's your first order, we'll, we'll let that happen. And it ended up working out. I mean, we sold out of them really quickly. I should have ordered the 500, but I would always recommend the lower value. Getting started, how did you negotiate the MOQ down? They always come out starting like, you know, hitting hard with the, the high numbers. Like, okay, you have to do with this MOQ. You have to do this. Just be honest with them. Just tell them that you're a new seller. You, this is, you're new to this. You're just now getting it going. And um, a lot of times they want to help you out because they want, they want the business. And they want to keep that relationship with you. They hate when you have to leave their manufacturer to go somewhere else. So as long as you're building a relationship with them at the end of the day is all that matters. And we stayed with our manufacturer since day one. And we've had hundreds offer us better offers, better deals. The reason why is because we know that they always performed at the end of the day. As you make bigger bets on, let's say, new products, like, for example, you guys were, you launched Ropper Jack, you had, you know, a handful of the navies and the the blacks, and then you start getting into seersucker and other. Are, are you getting more aggressive in the amount of inventory that you'll order? Are you always being more on the cautious side, and you'd rather err on the the more conservative angle versus over order and like have to s- sit on a bunch of inventory for a long time? How, how do you think about that? I didn't know a lot about fashion, like how it worked. And um, I mean, when we launched our rapper, we didn't even have like a sketch. Like you're supposed to have like a CAD of it and like send it over. Literally, it was like a picture and we're like. And I didn't learn about like how fashion works until later on, but really in the fashion industry, what you usually do is you come up with like a a design and and that's your, like your 2021 fall line. And that line never comes back. Like you're supposed to like, you know, make it go away. And then the next year you come out with a new line. So we haven't been doing that. We've been keeping our original rompers that we've had for a long time because we know they sell and there's still thousands of people out there that still want them. So we have numbers on those rompers that we know for sure we can sell if we have like thousands or two thousands in stock, like we know we're going to sell them. And then when we come up new ones, we don't know that. So usually what we do is we post a picture on Instagram of a sample model wearing it and be like, Hey, what do you guys think about this new romper or this new pair overall or jumpsuit, whatever product we're launching. And um, we usually show like five different pictures, of five different designs and we have them vote. And then whatever votes the highest is what we launch, but we still order a low amount in the beginning because we don't know for sure. If, and so, are, are you using your existing customer database? Or are you using the social channels? Where are you driving this demand to tell have people tell you what they want? Yeah, so we use our Instagram uh, channel as well as our uh, fifty thousand emails we have as well. So we just use that and then um, see what they say. And you know, the the best one that wins uh, is the next style that comes out. Awesome. Well, let's get back into like inventory forecasting and planning in a little bit. But from from an app perspective, you got Shopify, you fired that up. What else was in your toolkit on day one? Oh, day one. I mean, day one was probably just Shopify. (laughs) Because there wasn't much on day one. But like later down the road, I mean, core apps for sure. You're going to need an email app. Having email and collecting emails is like having a, print, a money printing machine. Literally, the more emails you, you collect, the more money you can make. And I would value an email to about a dollar. That's what I would do. One, one email will make you $1 per month. 
So you got to collect emails for sure, which you have to have an, a, an app that, you know, has a pop-up that will collect email or you can do SMS. SMS is the new powerful thing. Who do you use for email or pop-ups or SMS? We use Clavio to do the email, like firing emails and all of our series of emails, like abandoned cards, um, new customers. And then when it comes to pop-ups, we utilized Just Do Know. For SMS, we ended up in the beginning using Emotive, but we actually canceled our Emotive account and uh, we built it ourselves because... Mm -hmm. SMS is extremely expensive. And a lot of these companies out there, like Attentive, Emotive, if you look at this, the price that they're paying, Twilio, which is the, the company they're probably using, or Telenex, it's extremely high. They, they bump it up like 5X. So we, we since I already own a tech company, we, we use our tech development team to build out our own SMS app. Okay. I, so you built out your own SMS app. You're using it mostly for, from like a marketing perspective, you're using it for abandoned cart, you're using it for notifications. Like how are you typically utilizing it today? Uh, We use it for both. So when the customer would either sign up, they can either sign up with SMS or email. So they have the choice. They can check out with either SMS or email, depending on which, which route they take, will fire their abandoned cart, their welcome series under that route. So if you choose SMS, you'll get your abandoned cart through SMS. But if you choose email, it's vice versa. And can people purchase through SMS right now with you all or not yet? No, they can't purchase, but they could get, I mean, obviously they get like sent links and discounts through their text messages and they click on that and that just opens a browser straight to that, to that specific uh, URL. Nice. Because I know we, we have a handful of customers that custom built their own, you know, pay via SMS. I know Postscript's been talking about that as well. They launched a beta for that on their own store. So I just find that like a, it's just a fascinating aspect of the evolution of, of, you know, payments through phone. And I know the U S is a laggard there. It's very popular in, in Asia and Africa to pay over your phone. So I'm excited to see how brands get creative while also not spamming your phone. Cause I'm sure just like you get calls, you get these texts for products you didn't even sign up for. And you know, wh- where's the unsubscribe button? Yeah. And that's the tricky part. I mean, there's more and more brands using SMS and that I feel like over time people are going to get really annoyed or there's going to become this numbness to it. Like there's this numbness to notifications. I mean, I probably don't look at any of my note app notifications now. I'm just so numb to it. So, you know, we, we have Amanda giving you a plus one on the, the email marketing. You mentioned abandoned carts. Is there any email program or specific email that really stands out to you all that like once you turned it on, you're like, geez, why were we not doing that before? Well, abandoned cart for sure. I would definitely recommend abandoned cart. A welcome series also. Like when someone, a customer comes to your store and they shop around, but they don't necessarily buy and they don't necessarily add to the cart. So you need to collect their email up front, which is with the pop-up. And then you can actually, I think Clavio actually traces where they went, you know, like where on your website and what products they looked at. And you can still show them a dynamic emails based off their search results without even um, having an abandoned cart. So I would recommend that, which would be like a welcome series or like a new subscriber email setup. Let's talk about, keep, keep going on. So you got email, you got SMS, that obviously evolved from Emotive to building it yourself. What was the catalyst to get you over to ShipBob? I'm assuming you were fulfilling yourself and then you you realized, you know, maybe like the time that it took there. So let's talk through that evolution. Yeah. So 
that was um we started shipping product ourselves on on shopify using shopify's um you know uh paid you can buy their own packaging and all that stuff and we did that for probably about 40 maybe 45 60 days and then it got so out of hand that like every single day i had to take teams from my other companies to come over to help us package stuff because i was like well we don't this is too much I mean, I remember our office just flooded with like all these different packages, sizes and and like labels everywhere and literally took over our office. And I was like, we can't do this anymore. We have to like get this outsourced. And it consumed us like just in it's not fun packaging stuff (laughs) all day. So that's when we started to research different fulfillment centers or 3PLs. And a lot of the ones we researched in the beginning were like the local ones, like, you know, ones we can find in our area. But at the end of the day, they weren't as tech savvy as ShipBob. ShipBob was for sure the most tech savvy fulfillment center we've ever seen or I've ever seen, where it so easily integrates into Shopify and like it's seamless the way it works with it. And their pricing was great. So um, we ended up going with you guys right away. And and the new apron company I just launched uh, six months ago, same way. It just got out of hand. And the first person I called was ShipBob. You know, I was like, hey, look, I got another thing for you guys. Take it. <laughs> and so, it, I mean, it's been great ever since. That's awesome. And so how many fulfillment centers did you start with with us? And, and how many are you in today? We are started with one with, with ShipBob. And then we tried to do two because we wanted to speed up times in certain areas. The reason why we still are only with one is because our product um, has a lot of um, different sizing. So small, medium, large, extra large, extra, extra large. And we have over, I want to say like 300 SKUs now. We have a lot and we've grown a lot. So the problem is keeping all those sizes in the multiple ship bob fulfillments and making sure that they're there because if they're not there, what could happen is that the order will get split. And then if it gets split, we play for double shipping. So, and I don't think we're going to be able to get there until we get our, our inventory under control. We've been selling on pre-order and back order since we launched. So <laughs> we, we still don't have inventory under control. So we're still working on that. So I want to talk about international a minute, but let's let's finish off maybe one more app. Like if there's something you're like, okay, you've got Route, you've got ShipBob, you've got Shopify, you've got Klaviyo, you have Just Do Know. Like it's it's quite a few apps, but again, it makes your team very powerful, so you can run multiple businesses. Anything else that stands out to you? Like you're like, this is a must-have at least for your business. There's a couple of apps that I would recommend for a new brand or even a current brand. So Clavio for email, and you can use other email platforms, but I like Clavio. It's really powerful. It works really well with, with Shopify. And then if you want an SMS that you don't, you know, you don't build out yourself, there's two there's that I would recommend. Emotive is great. I mean, it works really well. Their platform is powerful. And then SMS bump is also really good. And then if you need other apps, what I would recommend is adding AdRoll. AdRoll is retargeting. So anytime that as someone goes to your website and then goes to like yahoo.com or wherever your ads will follow them around everywhere you go. And it's really, really cheap ads. So I would add that there's a ad rule app you can add there on Shopify. The other one for accounting QuickBooks for sure. Definitely do your books. Always start in the, you know, right when you start a company, make sure you start QuickBooks or accounting. Don't wait because it can just add up. And then I would recommend um, smile for rewards. 
instead of building yourself or like trying to do it on your own. And then another app I would recommend is Ultimate Special Offers, which kind of does like uh, certain weird sales, like buy three, get one 30% off or cool upsells, like buy two rompers and get a free black one or, you know, different kind of sales that Shopify kind of doesn't allow you to do on their own platform, but you can um, set up through their app. What was that app called again? Ultimate Special Offers. Awesome. I haven't heard that one. I'll have to check that out. You mentioned SMS Bump. How do you utilize SMS Bump maybe differently than Emotive or do you view them as rather similar? You would use them rather similar. They have all the same features, both of them. They they let you talk to your customers if you want to enable that feature. They do um, abandoned cart. SMS Bump, I would say, takes it one step further the power that Clavio has when it comes to like setting up different flows of emails, SMS bump has that for SMS. And I don't think Emotive does have that yet. So SMS is a bump is a little bit more powerful when it comes to like setting up like certain flows and things like that and cap- capturing different um, sales through different avenues, like other than abandoned cart. So let's talk international. You mentioned shipping in Mexico. Where, where else do you primarily ship outside of the U.S.? Right now... We ship uh, to Canada. We ship to Australia. Australia actually makes up the second largest part of our sales. And then we ship to Mexico as well as a lot of different European countries. But ever since the new EU laws came into play, we, we kind of had to cut some out because we're still kind of trying to figure out that, that territory and how it's working. And Adam, from your perspective, like what are you seeing maybe differently in shipping from the U.S. overseas and maybe some things that companies should prepare for or look out for, you know, let's say maybe to Australia or as Europe evolves? I think a lot of the lost damage and stolen, I mean, it certainly increases as you're going to have a wider range of number of different carriers that step in to take a piece of that delivery process. But the bigger thing that we think about is just the customer expectation at the end of the day. When you're adding, you know, a week or two in expectation of timeline, customers are more anxious, they're more engaged, they want to know where their stuff is, and they want to know that it's going to get there safely. And so even if it's not a situation of it being lost, damaged, or stolen, just providing to them the route tracking solution so that they can be notified, they can, you know, emphasize those push notifications instead of having that notification lost in the barrage of emails that we continue to get, can I just tell you, hey, your order is out for delivery. It's been shipped. It's on the way. It's in country. You know, all those notifications, we can just tell you the same way that Amazon tells you with the Amazon app, but you can get that for your romper jack order when you're ordering it, you know, overseas in Australia. And so that's that's more of what I think about, less about the lost damage stolen and more of how are you communicating with your customer during that time so that they are confident that it's in good hands, it's on the way, it's on schedule, or if it's not, that they have the most recent information from the carrier about when they can now expect it. Nice. Yeah, because I bet that's where communication really comes into play. It's, it's longer delivery times. Justin, anything from you on, let's, let's take Australia, for example. Huge country, other side of the world from, from the U.S. How has it been shipping there? Anything founder or you know, e-com operators should think about as they're marketing in these countries or even offering that as a destination that they can ship to? Yeah, I think the first thing you need to look at is the cost of customs for that country. Not to get the product in, but how much it's going to cost a consumer that's buying your product to get the product in their hands. When you look at Canada, and I don't quote me on this, but I think it's around $39 is like the limit. Anything above that, the customer has to pay the customs fee to get the product, which a lot of people still don't know that. Even some Canadians, like they don't, they're, 
we have customers that email us so like, why am I paying? And well, I'm, this is your country's rules. I don't know. And things have changed drastically with the European Union. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start with that. But um, so Australia, for example, also has a limit. And I, there's this higher than Canada, but still under $100. So if someone buys two or three rompers, they're not only going to have to pay for shipping, but they're also going to have to pay a customs fee to get it out. And we don't cover that. So um, you have to make sure that the customer is going to be aware of that. That's something that I would recommend. What about with returns internationally? Do you even offer those? So we do not offer our returns when it comes internationally, unless it's a special occasion, like um, the product was damaged or keen damaged, for example, lost. I don't know if we're using route right now to cover lost packages overseas. That's a good question. I need to figure that out. For now, we should turn it on. There we go. We gave you some homework. I know, right? Thanks. I can't handle your returns, but we can at least make sure that if somebody else screws it up after it leaves the warehouse, that you know we're there. Well, that's good to know. I just learned something new. Okay, I definitely will turn that on. So we don't handle returns internationally at all, just because the cost to go internationally is extremely expensive and it can add up. I mean, um, if you order, let's say you order three rompers to Australia, that could be like 60, 50, $60 in shipping costs. If you want to return it, you got to pay the 50, 60 to get it back. And let's say you want to do an exchange. Then we got to do a 50, 60 not to get to get back and then get back to you. So now you're looking at $120 in, in shipping and stuff like that. With the shipping costs being so high, are you seeing the average order value in these international countries to and, and maybe quantity purchased much higher? Uh, yes. Just to like kind of offset that cost? Yes. Typically, they'll try to... F- add a, as many products as they feel that they need or they want all into one order just because you know they don't want to pay double triple shipping when it comes if they have to come back interesting and then with brexit in the uk and again there's you talk to people there they're not even sure what to tell you either but <laughs> has that made it easier for you to sell into the uk harder like how are you juggling the uk right now i think it's kind of made it harder we're, we're extremely confused on like how that works I remember in January that when that whole thing turned on, Shopify would send us a bunch of um, reminders like set up your VAT tax or your your you know your your tax, and I didn't even know where to start because you have to start up a VAT tax for each one of those countries that's in part of that union, and it just seemed way too overwhelming for us to, to keep track of all that tax. So we kind of just turned those countries off. We're like we're not going to sell here if it's this hard. And when you say turn those companies off, you mean within like your Facebook advertising or advertising. And then uh, we kind of shut some of them out from, from being able to pay for shipping. So just taking them out of our our shipping areas so they can order just because we don't want to get in a big legal trouble when it comes to the European union. So we're trying to, we're still treading that water, trying to figure it out. Let's look in the future, like world's opening up more, at least the U S how do you see marketing or community building in like the romper jack world evolving this year? That is, that's such a great question. Like, and I think there's a lot of e-commerce stores out there and there's a lot of brands out there that are really um, kind of scared about the iOS 14.5 update that just happened. And for people that are listening, there was a new update that Apple released that pretty much blocks Facebook and Instagram from being able to track you and track your where you go online. And so they can't really serve you ads based off that. So we've seen that make it really hard to run our advertising. Our ROAS has, has declined. Our conversions have declined drastically. And I think really 
at the end of the day is trying to come up with new ideas and new ways to market. So try multi-platform marketing. I would recommend um, TikTok is a new great platform that a lot of people getting really good results out of. So we just recently launched TikTok ads and things like that. And then focus on the things that have been working. So email marketing, return customer, having a really strong return customer rate. Like I said before, I believe that each email you get is worth $1 per month. So every time you get an email, just save that email and start, you know, blast out weekly, monthly email sales. So that's what I would recommend. And then if other people have ideas, I mean, I'll take any idea that's in this chat room, you know, I'm always open to new advertising ideas. It's crazy how this Facebook update, I wasn't sure if it was going to be this big issue or if it was going to be a non-story. And it seems like it's been a pretty big issue, a pretty constant theme across a lot of brands that I'm talking to, just the impact or like one, the lack of visibility. They're seeing ROAS drop, just costs across the board jumping. Facebook is such a, has so many smart people there. Yeah. Obviously like Apple's trying to get in the advertising space. Who knows if they acquire or launch anything, you know, and Facebook is in the business of making money. So it's going to be interesting to see how they evolve and allow their platform to be as, as effective, if not more effective in the future than it is today. Yeah. And I wouldn't be too scared because I feel like Apple's doing this for a reason. I think Apple really at the end of the day is doing this because they probably are going to want to make money off advertising through their own platform, through their own you know devices. And the best way to do that is take out the biggest player and then offer a new player. That's <laughs> Apple and you can buy ads through Apple. And I guarantee you there's going to be something that's going to launch down later down the road. Yeah. Or as the Snap founder was saying that he doesn't mind paying the 30% fees to Apple. I don't know, maybe he's trying to throw a little wink, wink and see if they'll acquire him and, and then oh, yeah. Snap will be the new Facebook. So looking back, what was the biggest mistake you made as a founder with Romper Jack? The biggest mistake was probably not raising enough money in the beginning to, to hold enough inventory. We started Romper Jack with just $10,000 because we, we didn't want to take too big of a risk. And if we were to start it with a lot more money, we would be probably worth 3x, 4x what we are now. Did you raise debt? Did you raise equity? Was it pooling money from your internal team? What, that, what did that look like? Yeah. So Robert Jack was really the only company I started where I didn't really raise money. I kind of like just started on a whim. And then I think a month in, two months in, I was like, hey, I asked a couple of friends. I'm like, hey, you want to put some money into this thing? It's kind of doing good. They're like, yeah, yeah, here you go. You know, I collected like 40 grand from like, friends and family. And then it kind of like took off like crazy, but I really should have spent the time to really do the fundraising because it was really successful in the beginning. It was doing so well. And I was like, well, you know, maybe we can live off our own cash flow, but we've been stuck in this pre-order back order, you know, for a long time. And so now we're kind of in this rut where like we keep on taking capital from banks because they're just throwing money at us. They're like, Hey, if you're paying back your loans so fast, but we lose a lot of that money when it comes to like paying interest and stuff like that. So now our next goal is to is to really raise capital. So that's what we're going to start to do um, in the next couple months here. Okay. So go on the, the fundraising roadshow and raise equity? Yeah. Yeah. And we got some things that um, are coming up that we're really excited about and uh, people will see it. It'll be nice. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. We'll keep our eyes peeled. So we'll close it up with a question I asked everybody at, at the end. Adam, we'll start with you. And then Justin, you can, you can bring us home. So Adam, it can be you know, really across the board for e-com operators today. What's your number one piece of advice? 
Uh, don't do it yourself. Find good partners. I mean, a lot of that just comes from my experience, you know, running partnerships here. There are folks that do it by themselves and they're called Amazon, right? But they have all the money in the world to go build whatever arm of the business they want. They can drive their own trucks. They can, you know, handle the entire part of that. It's not feasible for everybody else to do this. So find great partners. I'm not just talking about using route to be able to resolve lost damage storm packages and provide a great tracking experience. You know, we spent a chunk of time on this with, with who Justin uses for email, for texting, for, for all of that. Find those partners that where, you know, one plus one equals more than two by working together. I think, you know, it's a little bit of what the fundraising opportunity is that Justin talked about, right? It's, it's more than just the dollar that you get is that can lead to being worth multiples of what you are now just because of the time spent with more money spent. So yeah, that's my fundamental advice. I like it. And Justin, what's your number one piece of advice? I think a lot of people that are starting out to be an entrepreneur, I think the number one thing is fear at the end of the day. Like, is this going to work out or is this too big of a risk? And I think the best thing is, is don't, you know, jump right into the deep end right away. You could start slowly, you know, get some product validation from friends and family, but at the end of the day, don't be scared to start anything when it, when it comes to business. And every time you start a business, it gets easier and easier every time. So the first one's the hardest, but after that, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. It's actually pretty easy. I can get it going and it's not that hard. And you'll be surprised at how many people out there that are willing to buy your ideas. So, I mean, take rompers, for example, <laughs> I never thought it was going to do this well. I mean, I thought it was just going to be a joke and like, maybe we'll sell one or two. No, I mean, it, it blew up like crazy. So no idea is really a bad idea at the end of the day. And if I were to give you another piece of advice, just focus on the niche items. Don't focus on things that people are doing mass ideas of or mass selling of. The niche things are what sell and there's still a buyer out there for them. Nice. I love it. I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned that at the end. So I think that's a great way to wrap it up. And Justin, it's been great to see your success. And, and Adam, you as well. I mean, I, I've been seeing Route pop up all over the place. So Adam, thank you for, for joining us over in Utah, Justin over in Texas. Um, really appreciate you and, and everybody in the audience taking your time to join us today. And to wrap it up, partner with the right people, take the plunge in the entre- entrepreneurial journey yourself. And don't be scared of the niches because they're often much larger than you than you expect. All you have to do is spend a little bit of time on Reddit before you get scared and realize how many weird niches there are that are much, much larger than you'd ever expect. So really appreciate everybody. Take care and we'll see you all next week. Take care, guys.